Hi again, everyone, and anyone really, and welcome back to another episode of the Pocket Dump Podcast, where I, Matt Rollins, take you, insert name here, inside someone's mind through their pockets. I'm a big believer that people are what they do, and the clues to who a person is comes from what they need to do their work. This week and next, we're dumping the pockets of Matt Lolly, who is a bicyclist, and he truly is what he does. He rides. Matt isn't a world champion. Nor does he huff baboon testicle powder to go faster. Although, come to think of it, I didn't ask him that. For Matt, not me, him, riding is a lifestyle. And many of his routines throughout the day are influenced by the fact that he has a bike, not a car, with him. How many of us have a bag in the trunk of extra stuff? He doesn't have that room. Matt carries a minimalist wallet because every ounce counts when you push yourself to work. Warning! This is a two-part episode. In Matt Lolly, I had a really hard time getting the interview into any kind of manageable chunk, so I just cut it off. There's 28 minutes today and another half an hour or so to come. So I thought that for those of you listening every week, rather than make the episode suddenly twice as long and all interview and sort of dilute the product, I'd snap the thing like a Kit Kat and be back next week with the second half of the interview and an all-new preview, review, jargon, and shiny, and all the non-interview features that I'm still trying to get better at every week. I expected this to happen eventually, and I was certain that I would find subjects that I needed more than my time limit to get all the way into. But it's time limit that I want to talk to you about right now. Yes, you, the listeners. I haven't come in at a normal time yet with my first episode clocking in at 36 minutes and last week's timing out at 48 minutes. I'm either climbing toward a one-hour show or really bad at keeping the show down to a half an hour. This is a luxury in podcasting. If you want the show to be longer, all you have to do is keep recording. And if I want the show to be shorter, I can just keep editing. My goal was for this show to be bite-sized and easy to finish while mowing the lawn, cleaning the bathroom, or maybe on a lunch break. If the feedback all says you want more content, then I'll unhook my belt and relax on the mic. I won't be insulted if you say that you are comfortable with a shorter show. I will be uncomfortable if you tell me that I suck. So, leave a review on iTunes or a feedback on pdpc.rogintel.com or email me directly, matt at rogintel.com. Let me know how you feel about the run times. This show is, after all, for you guys. And because, as you all assume, I love gear, and you are not wrong, the preview this week is Sog's attempt to sneak into the market dominated by things like the OHT. The shiny this week is a little bit of a departure, and it's not exactly gear, it's clothing. Eye gears shot at sneaking five pockets into a polo shirt. Lastly, EDC's style this time out is about sneaking into the world of purse ownership with a man bag. Do you carry a knife in addition to a multi-tool? I used my Leatherman Skeletool for some time as the only thing I carried. And this was okay, because I had one-handed outside access to the knife blade. Single-handed deployment makes it so that I'm more ready to get into a mess. These days, I carry a knife that is a knife. So I go to my multi-tool for all the non-cutting tasks. But now SOG has a new pocket multi-tool, the first SOG multi-tool with a pocket clip, as a matter of fact, that opens in a whole new way. Friend of the show and the very first guest, Duff, carries a tool 
named OHT for one-handed tool. And that one opens out the front. The plier's head slides out on a rail and locks forward. This little bugger flips open, spring-loaded like a switchblade. But when I first heard about it, I thought that the pliers would still be rotating 180 degrees and that the handle would rotate three quarters of the way around. But I'm wrong. This is why SOG designs tools and I talk about them. The pliers pop out and the handle deploys maybe 35 or 40 degrees when you press the button on the side. And the other tools, including my personal holy grail of tools, the can opener, are all accessible Swiss Army style on the other side, the back side of that top handle. While I thought it would be nicer to have the other tools on the outside, once I realized how the pliers handle can close and give you a really nice full grip on those tools overall, I deleted my hate mail to the designer, because really that does work better. Each of the tools that open like that have their own back locks and are all 420 stainless steel, as is the body of the device. While this isn't one of SOG's biggest, most intense machines like the power grips, you know, those ones that can cut a quarter into uh, fourths, because I didn't want to say quarters twice in the same sentence, this is designed with pocket EDC in mind and is therefore right up my alley. The pliers are spring-loaded and naturally rest in an open position. And for those of you out there that don't think that matters, you have not had both. Spring-loaded pliers are much nicer to use. Overseas produced for SOG and stuck on the docks during the labor problems out on the Pacific coast, I think these are finally getting to some people now, but the only places I can find it online are as a pre-order, and my local shops haven't even seen them yet. This isn't the most revolutionary thing, but it's a smaller, lighter way to carry a good deal of tools, and I think it's a little more elegant than the OHT. Sorry, Duff. Uh, you can look at it at www.sogknives.com slash switchplier, or search for it on the site, or of course, go to pdpc.rogintel.com. Stats are in the show notes, of course, as well as a link to the gallery. This is a preview, not a review, and I have early adopted before but I am going to order one because I think it's going to be a good addition to the PDPC stable, and if it sucks, I will let you hear about it. You can get this very futuristic-looking tool as a pre-order from SogKnives.com for an MSRP of $64. Matt rides bikes. Mountain, street, racing, fat tire, derby. Matt rides bikes to work. And home from work? At work, Matt fits bikes and sells and repairs bikes. He is living the dream. Maybe I don't dream of a bike shop, but all day every day Matt is in his element. This is the first half or so of the conversation we had, and I hope you get as into it as we did. Most of the stuff listed in the eight questions is actually in the second part of the interview, which you will all hear next week. But his answers to all of those eight questions are, of course, in the show notes if you want to cheat and get ahead of it, as well as links to as much of the gear as is possible. Matt Lally is our guest today. He is a bicycle fitter, a bicycle mechanic, and an avid bicycle rider. This dude rides to and from work, like all the time, on a pedal bicycle, and that is in either the Northeast or New England. Which one is it? What do you uh, consider it? it? We're in New England. You're in New England. Uh, so that's not where it's, like, nice all the time. No. No, not all the time. 
But before I get into the eight questions and we start asking you about bags and tires and chains and all the fun stuff that I want to talk about, you actually showed up with something that is right up my alley on Facebook, and it is a cowboy boot flip-flop hybrid? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, as I understand it, because I had to read this story, and you know this, I, on this very podcast last week, spoke for several minutes about how flip-flops are a terrible idea and should just be discarded in most cases. This individual, he doesn't even make cowboy boots. You right. send him cowboy boots you've already purchased, and then he turns them into, they still have the entire cowboy boot calf area of decorative snake skin with uh, six shooters on them, and then in the front, <laughs> with a heel of your choosing, uh, is a thong sandal. Yeah, it's a perfectly, perfectly good waist of a cowboy boot. Right, because I didn't speak out against cowboy boot in any way, shape, or form. If that's how you want to do, they're pull-on, they're, they're, there's lovely brush protection. People wear boots, pull-on boots all the time. I have no problem with that. I actually know a man who, the day before he left for army boot camp, his mother had to teach him how to tie shoes. Really? Because he had never once worn lace-ups. Wow. That was some pretty deep, dark Texas right there. I mean, it wasn't in, like, the 90s when I existed. He's an older guy. But he was like, uh-oh, these boots have laces on them. I don't understand. <laughs> but So all the heaviness of a cowboy boot and all the sweatiness of wearing it without socks and none of the foot protection that boots actually are known for. Is that correct? I, I guess so. I, I don't own a pair of these. Uh, if I do... Oh, that can... wasn't a picture of you trying them on. No, no, that wasn't me. Uh, if if, uh, if you ever see me wearing a pair of those, you have my permission to come just hurt me yeah just come step on my toes if i'm wearing them that'll just stop anybody there or is out on instagram their laser cut little titanium cards that are man cards and i think like the side of them is a comb and so it's basically it goes right in your wallet it's a man card and and once i know that someone has that i, I just pull it and That's it would it. be done. pulled yes man card will be removed uh, and uh, before we get into the giant rabbit hole of a conversation that I'm afraid that we're about to have, promote your Etsy shop. All right. So my Etsy shop's called Velodome, uh, Velodome Caps, and I make uh, handmade cycling caps. Wasn't the Velodome where the Cobra Commander lived? Uh, was it? That would be even better. No, that was the Terradrome. Come oh. on, man. Really? <laughs> you got to get your references up. Yeah, well, I'm working on a weather disruptor. It's not ready yet. But, uh, that, <laughs> just that's, on Etsy. Kind of a, <laughs> that's in beta right now. <laughs> Cycling caps are great because um, I sweat a lot when I ride, and my helmet doesn't channel the sweat away so it drips into my eyes so a cycling cap works really really well for me because it absorbs all that sweat keeps it out of my eyes it also has the an, another nice benefit of acting kind of like a uh, a bug screen almost if you get like some big nasty hornet flying through the air you know decides to uh detour through your helmet vents the cap's going to keep them off your head if you have less hair on the top of your head than other human beings do you can actually wind up with this kind of funky uh cheetah print suntan on um on a bald scalp so cycling caps are cool because they keep the sun off your head too so they are a useful thing 
I've had a lot of cycling caps, and there's things about these caps that I've liked and things that I don't like. So I decided that um, I, I can kind of work a sewing machine. I taught myself how to sew. So a uh, bearded, six-and-a-half-foot, heavy metal bicyclist who also sews. Yeah, yeah. I love that there's always uh, – I'm always interested in people who have that thing that doesn't match the other things. <laughs> yeah, it kind of throws people for a loop. Well, that or your antique doll collection. Like, it had to, <laughs> something had to just go, well, all right, yeah, he's a big heavy metal biker guy. It's like, no, 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 he's a pedaling biker. That's already weird enough. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, he's not that kind of biker guy. Yeah. He's the other kind of biker guy. Yeah, I get that. All oh, you, you work in a bike shop? Like, motor or pedal? Well, I guess they both have pedals, but... <laughs> Pedal for the purposes of this conversation. The funny thing about teaching myself how to sew is apparently I've taught myself these techniques that are legit techniques. So that's the cool part is like I've learned a lot from it. And the first cap I made, do a couple of pieces and then start doing this one part of the process, completely do it backwards, have to rip all the stitches out and start again. I'm like, okay... Once I got through that initial one, it's like, okay. And now you're making hats on your Etsy shop Velodome. Yes. Uh, yeah. And so uh, if anyone's listening to this because you, more likely than me, posted it to all kinds of bicycle riding forums and things like that so they could get inside the mind of a bike mechanic maybe a little bit. Uh, or if anyone who is my EDC nerds uh, are interested in getting into biking or just want a hat that no one else has, probably in their town, go to Velodome. Because you say they are a fashion statement, but I find that they look a little bit specific. They are kind of specific. I mean, some people have been wearing them just as like a, a fashion-oriented thing. They just want a different different cap. Cycling caps used to be that if you saw another person wearing one, you know that they ride. And it was just kind of mm -hmm. like the silent nod. You know, you just knew that this person was probably the same sort of stuff as you are. That's changed a little bit, but that's totally cool. They are pretty limited. I don't churn out like huge quantities of these things. So you're talking about having something that's, that's different. Oh, don't worry. I don't have listeners either. It's fine. <laughs> I'm just trying to make you feel better. <laughs> it doesn't take much. Yeah. They, they are kind of limited. Maybe they'll, they'll be like five or six of the same kind of style. So if you like handmade stuff and you like things that haven't been mass produced, check it out. And of course I will put the link if people can't spell Velodome in the show notes. Sure. So you're ready for the eight basic questions. Let's go. Hit me. Okay. Like I always say, fast, quick. We're going to talk about them again later. I just need to know the answers to these eight questions. Do you carry a gun? No. Do you carry a knife? Yes. Do you carry a bag? Yes. Do you carry a flashlight? Yes. Do you carry a multi-tool? No. What is the total weight of everything that you carry? If I had to guess, I'd say uh, between 10 and 15 pounds. Okay. Under 15, you believe? I believe. What was the last item you used? Uh, my bag. Oh, technicality. And did you cram for this event? No. I got a car payment, dude. No. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let's start with the bag, because you definitely mentioned it, and I was very impressed with this thing. I am a gear nerd. That's why I have a show about gear, and you showed me something I had not seen before. Your bag is a Mission Workshop Vandal, is that correct? Correct. Okay, so uh, on the stats that I have looked up, it goes from 29 liters, and it expands to 64 liters. Yes. And it is waterproof. Uh, yes, it's wa it's waterproof, but not submersible. Make that distinction, I guess. So if you dumped it off the side of your boat, 
and you had your computer in it, you'd be pretty sad. That's not what waterproof means. <laughs> uh, waterproof, no, waterproof means what you said. Like, out in the rain, probably going to live. Off the edge of a boat, bets are off. Right. There's a whole other level of bag for that. Correct. And if you're on a boat without those bags, uh, that's your own fault. You'd be surprised how many people don't know that distinction, though. So they get in trouble. Well, you said this jacket was waterproof, but I'm wet. Well, you were riding your bike, right? Right. Well, you perspire when you ride your bike. So it's probably you sweating inside, not the jacket leaking. So you deal with folks that can't tell the difference between rain and their own sweat. Um, they might not hear this. Yeah. <laughs> we just won't tell them why I work. Uh, yes is the quick answer. Um, but it's a lot of what I do is also education, too, because it's when if someone's never had a waterproof jacket that's fully seam taped and fully seam sealed and they expect they're going to go hike in it or they're going to go ride a bike in it, they're going to do something that like an aerobic aerobic activity. A lot of them don't realize that that sweat's not going to wick away um, in, a, in some of those jackets a lot of times. So a lot of it's education too, and just explaining that, Hey, this is how it works. You're not, it's not really leaking unless it is most often it's not. So when you deploy your wet weather gear because you are stuck riding in the rain, that's gear that is like that. It's seam taped. It's going to be a hundred percent, and therefore all your moisture doesn't wick off your body. There have been days uh, in the summertime where it's humid enough and it's warm enough, but it's also I mean, we're not talking like pouring rain, but it's raining steadily. Where I've said I, I'm not wearing this stuff because I will sweat to death in this by the time I get home or to work or wherever I'm going. I get to work feeling more refreshed, not like I've been trapped inside of a plastic bag. So so it's weight loss clothing that you have, too. <laughs> yeah. Like those wrestlers trying to make weight just riding down the road. Yeah, I was going to say that the UFC guys, you know, when I'm getting ready for a bike race, I'll, I'll just go out and go to town in these things. And That is one of the tricks. The lightest gear that keeps the water off of you has a disadvantage. There is other gear that does wick or or channel out your moisture and is waterproof, but it's bigger, it's heavier, it's bulkier, and so it's not as easy to keep in your bag with you at all times. If something's really waterproof, like truly seam sealed and waterproof, like the jacket I have is stupid light, but it's not going to breathe like a regular jersey or piece of clothing. So I have like a, a long sleeve wool jersey that I'll wear too. And the awesome thing about wool, besides the fact that it doesn't hold body odor, is that when it gets wet, you stay warm. So in the summertime, when it's like hot or when it's warm and humid out and it's raining, I throw that thing on. And even though my arms might be getting damp and I might be kind of getting wet, I don't catch a chill because that stuff stays warm. So it's it's enough to kind of keep the water off of me. It still helps kind of pull sweat unless the thing's completely soaked. I mean, if it's if it's pouring so I can't see three feet away, I'm putting rain gear on. I'd rather sweat and be damp than be completely saturated and like, look like a drowned rat <laughs> rolling into work, you know, the squishy shoes and the whole nine. And that's your way into work. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that has happened. Like, oh, yeah. I have a full work day in front of me and I am riding in and it is soggy. Oh, totally. Like I've looked outside and there's puddles in my driveway and it's like, all right, well, I'm just going to put all my stuff on and I've already had my cup of coffee. I'm going to put all my lights, all my blinky lights on, my please don't hit me lights. And I'm just going to slow roll it to work. I'm not in a rush. I just want to stay upright. 
because I don't like driving to work. I, I live so close to work. It just feels like cheating. It feels like cheating. And my next question was how wet, how cold, how gnarly does it have to be for you to just jump in the car? That's a really good question. National emergency? <laughs> I, National Guard is out there. Driving is allowed. I actually had to pull over one time because I literally couldn't see a foot in front of me on the bike. I was on the bike path and it was coming down so hard. I couldn't see where I was going. I had to pull over for like 30 seconds and just kind of laughed. I'm like, this is stupid. I'm going to die. <laughs> and then it lightened up. I kept going. By the time I got to the end of the bike path, we're talking like four or five miles. Not that far. You know, maybe... Because it was raining so hard. Four or five miles, not that far. I would like to caveat that by saying it would kill me. No, it would. You just need the, you need the right bike. It's really not that hard. You get the right bike, it's not that hard. By the time I got to the end of the bike path, maybe 20 minutes worth of riding, it was completely clear. The sun came out, and like you could see the steam coming up off the road because the sun was just baking all this water up in the atmosphere, and I just died. I was so hot. It was terrible. Cold-wise, it's got to be pretty freaking cold for me not to go ride. I've got cold-weather gear that I ride into. Um, I've got a fat tire bike, so I can ride in pretty much up to like six or eight inches of snow. This past winter, when we had a snowstorm every Monday, and there was like a pretty good two to three foot threshold of snow that was not packed down, it was just not physically possible to ride the bike path and work and trying to ride on the road and trying to share the road with cars was impossible when it's basically not safe to ride that's kind of when i draw the line cold doesn't really bother me wet doesn't really bother me can i get home with people seeing me safely and is there enough room to share this road with motorists who might crush me so you're over that plateau that i think of where like it sounds to me i feel like a five mile bike ride would just kill me cardiovascularly. Uh, you're way beyond that. You're at the safety level. If it's not going to be dangerous to ride, you ride to work and ride home. As long as I'm not lazy. Oh, okay. So <laughs> once in a while, I just go, ooh, car keys. Yeah, yeah. Or, or if I like wake up, if I sleep in or, or wake up way too late and I'm like, oh, crap, I've got 10 minutes to get to work. There's no way I'm going to eat and get changed and get on the bike. I screw this up. I got to drive. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, or if I have to do errands after work, something where I have to go, oh, we haven't gone grocery shopping in three months. I better just pack up the back of the Subaru as full as I can get it. I'm not going to do that on my bike. Sure. I'm going to drive into work, you know. You work at a bike shop, which we Correct. decided will remain nameless for the, <laughs> so that you can complain about your customers. Um, <laughs> no, I love all my customers. But you work at a bicycle shop in New England. Correct. So while riding to work every day sounds like a great idea in maybe Tampa. <laughs> and and I'll just give a hint and we'll leave it at that. Just like every piece of gear I have ever previewed or reviewed on the show so far, your state does seem to have a beer bottle opener on it. It does. Right? It looks like if, <laughs> if you had a refrigerator magnet of your state, looks like you could open a beer bottle with it. I actually used a bottle opener. I have this wrench for my mountain bike because I, I need it to, if, if something breaks on my bike, I have a specific wrench for a certain part of the bike so I can make a trail side repair. And what did they do to the end of the wrench? Of course, they cut a notch in it and put a bottle opener on it. That's what the bike industry does. Oh, you need something different? Let's cut a notch in it. You can open a bottle. I've actually never used it to open a bottle, but I did use it last Wednesday to straighten my friend's brake rotor on his mountain bike when he bent the snot <laughs> so out of it. it's a lever. I was like, 
holy crap, I actually used this for something good. <laughs> Not to get drunk. Just powers for good. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, what I find is that the, the more alcohol you need to put in your body, the more likely it's going to be a twist or a pop-top. So, that. It's just really easy to cut that little shape out and go, oh, here's some value added. Right, right. But uh, like I said, I can afford twist offs, so it's not a it's not that big of a deal. Uh, well, if you drink the right whiskey, it's a cork. So oh well, all right. Now we're getting into now you need a Swiss Army knife because a corkscrew. <laughs> Have you fully <laughs> extended the uh, Vandal bag to sixty four liters? Used it as a full duffel? Yeah, baby, absolutely. On your back or for like air travel or car travel? On my back, I. When I air travel with it, I try to keep it as tight as I possibly can so I can actually get it into an overhead bin with zero issues. There have been a few times where I've had to kind of like let a little bit out. And there are these two compression straps that you can use to kind of dial the thing in a bit more. Or maybe I came back with something kind of cool I couldn't live without. I had to kind of open it up a bit. But yes, I have I have fully expanded it. 64 liter pack on your back while riding. It's a little weird. Uh, and actually, I'll send you a picture. I, I got to dig it out. So many years ago, actually, the guys from Mission Workshop had something on their Facebook page like, hey, show us how you use your bag. So this was back when I was silk screening a lot of shirts. And I had ordered up like a couple of, I ordered up like a case of shirts or something. I had them delivered to the bike shop because um, I had my screen printing studio in the basement. So down the street from the shop, probably about a mile or so there's a t-shirt company that does uh like an impression company basically so they're they're well known for making like tie-dye shirts i guess but they can also silk screen they can embroider they can do all kinds of stuff i don't know who's delivering the package that day if they just looked and saw the box and said oh this is a gildan box this is going down to the screen printers and dropped it off there so i got a phone call from this place saying hey yeah your shirts are here why the heck did the guy drop them there so i got on my bike with my bag i rode all the way down i figured i'll just cut the box open stuff the pack as full of shirts as i can get it um and just get them all in there well there were so many shirts there were like two boxes so i cut one open i stuffed all the shirts in they filled the entire bag completely open i couldn't get any more in I had to take the other bag. Now, on the outside of this bag has a military-grade elastic strap, and you can use that to kind of tie stuff down. So I took this box full of shirts, strapped it under that elastic, cranked the thing down. Um, I think I might have brought another bungee with me or a strap or something just for a little extra stability. Loaded up like 60 pounds of crap on my back, and I rode back to the bike shop like a mile and a half or whatever it was. I got some of the best looks from people in cars like oh there's a guy in a bike what the hell is on his back so i took a picture of it just because it looked so ridiculous and uh sent it to these guys and i was like here's what your bag can do i've completely overloaded that bag and trying to ride that through traffic uh is not comfortable sure that's yeah i don't i don't recommend that's not their programmed use uh but i bet all zip down 29 liters with all the stuff that you have listed that you do carry in it. So at the time, you didn't have the uh, tiny tool silicone strap set, which I know that you have now. Uh, that's not that would yeah that, helped maybe that wouldn't have not at all. This was so heavy. Um, you really needed to have like a bungee or um, uh, Surly Bikes makes these great things called junk straps, and it's basically like an old school toe strap, but the strap is like super long, 
So you can use it as just this utility strap to tie down whatever you need to. It's quick, fast, light. Uh, I might have used some of those to hold the thing on there, but it was just so like heavy and so unwieldy. It was it was uh, it was kind of more to do it to say I could do it, you know. And if I really had to ride more than a couple miles, I would have been like, ah, screw this. I'm calling someone to come pick these things up. This is ridiculous. You are live in an area where the the bicyclists don't own the road. Correct. So a lot of what you're already talking about is just someone not realizing that, you know, your start and stop is different. Like if you, with 60 pounds on your back, it's all about inertia and momentum, isn't it? So if you get cut off and have to stop, that just ruins your day. Yeah, that that would, uh, if you had to make any emergency stops or turns, uh, you'd be working pretty hard to make that happen with that kind of weight on your back. Mm-hmm. Bike messengers do that stuff for a living. I'm not a bike messenger. Uh, those guys and girls are pretty amazing with what they can do with in terms of bike handling skills and a fully loaded bag on their back. It uh, That's definitely a really specialized skill set. And you're kind of an all-around rider. You said you had a bike for a lot of different things. You mentioned having a fat tire bike, and that's good for sandy and snowy conditions? Yeah, so it's a four-inch wide tire that sits on like a... I believe it's like a 65 or 68 millimeter wide rim. Thank God that ended in millimeters because I, I thought you were on a penny farthing there for a minute. Yeah. It looks like a dirt bike where the motor fell off, basically. Okay. Um, so big honking tires, lots of rubber, and it gives you more traction and flotation than you could ever have dreamed is possible on a bicycle. Um, so, yeah, exactly what you said. Uh, great for sand, great for snow. Uh, great for mountain biking, too. If you get into, like, really technical areas with a lot of rocks and roots, mm-hmm. it really grips and works pretty awesome. But then you have a dedicated mountain bike. Correct. Which is probably a lot more standard. Straight front handlebars, really reinforced body, but a little bit heavier. Uh, yeah, it's a full suspension. It's a salsa horse thief. They're, they're, I think their tagline for that bike is, like, any trail, anywhere. Or something like that. They really kind of design the bike to be able to ride literally any trail anywhere you want to go. Uh, it's a great kind of all-rounder sort of bike. I've I ride it in Vermont. Um, I ride it here at home. Uh, I took it out to Colorado with me and rode for like uh, a long weekend out there. And it can it can ride everywhere. It's it's my favorite bike I've ever ridden. My favorite mount favorite mountain bike. Oh wow! But that's not your daily driver to no, work. No, it's not my daily driver to work for the most part. Um, I have a couple bikes that I revolve around, but the main one is a Surly Crossjack. Chromoly steel frame. I upgraded it to like a carbon fork, so it's a little bit lighter. And it's basically, it's a cyclocross bike, so you can fit, it's the same size wheel as like a road bike, but you can put a fatter tire on it. It's probably my most ridden bike. I've built it up like six ways to Sunday. It's been a fixed gear. It's been a single speed. It's been, you know, 10 gears in the back and two in the front. Right now, it's a it's a one by 10. So one gear in the front, 10 in the back. It's just awesome. It fits me perfectly. Uh, it's super fun to ride. And I've taken it and ridden it in a lot of places where you shouldn't ride a cross bike. You should probably ride a mountain bike instead. Mm-hmm. And it rides awesome. It handles great. It's super comfortable. The thing I love about it, it's just this blue collar kind of bike. It lacks a suspension. Right. But it's pretty high quality and very versatile. It's um, it's great steel. It's chromoly steel. In a day and age where everybody wants carbon fiber or lightweight aluminum, it's a little retro-gratchy maybe, but it rides so well and it's so comfortable and so versatile. 
you know, it, it's funny, like a lot of, a lot of people who come on our rides or come in our shop are like, oh, you ride that? Isn't that heavy? Yeah. So maybe it's like two or three pounds heavier than your carbon bike, but you know what? I could run you over on the trail with this thing and I could ride my bike home. <laughs> you're going to get up and your frame's going to be broken and cracked and you're going to have to call for a ride. You're not threatening anybody. You're not threatening anybody. I'm not threatening anybody, but if you want, if you say derby, I'm going to point it straight into you and let's go. Uh, I've, I've ridden. Is that the international code word for knock a son of a bitch down or uh, derby is when you, uh, you get this kind of circle pit going, circle pit thing going, and you just try to knock other people off their bikes. That's a thing that you bicyclists do. Uh, some people do it. It's just kind of like people being stupid and being idiots and just having fun on their bikes. There's usually some imbibing that happens along with that. Okay. But uh, Surly says that all their bikes are derby approved. Derby approved. Something they advertise. Yeah, I've I've crashed the thing a bunch of times, and chromoly steel is tough. I was training on it for cyclocross racing, and I rode off something I shouldn't have, and completely like went ass over tea kettle. And the whole front end probably should have been plowed into itself, but it, that didn't happen somehow. I got a little sketchy riding on some snow and ice one year, and I put the thing into like this pylon that they use to block off part of the rail trail to motorize vehicles. So I've got this like 12 to 15 inch long yellow stripe on the top where it rubbed the paint off the thing. Somehow I didn't smash my leg between this metal pole and the bike. And the bike still keeps going. It, it's it's just awesome. You can beat the crap out of the thing, and it just it rides great. It wants more. Well, that is a lovely unsolicited plug, but uh, it totally is. I do those too. I also find it interesting because I'm coming from a different subculture than you. Uh, that you say chromoly like all nice one word instead of chrome yes. and molly. Yeah, it's it's chromoly. It's chromoly. Yeah. Yes, that's that's. In the bike world, anyway, that's mm-hmm. the way that it's in pronounced. in the knife world. It gets down to percentages. Do you have 8% uh, CR or do you have 13% CR and how much MOV? So there's 18 eighths, there's 13 eighths, there's all kinds of different stuff. And Yeah, uh, I've, seen, I've seen that on knives. They don't get that crazy with it for bikes. Maybe they do, but with bikes, it's more like, uh, this is a, you know, is it high ten steel or is it high tensile or is it chromoly? I'm sure that their engineers know the breakdown sure. of the different materials in there, but... For most riders, that, that they don't need to know that. Yeah, most knife buyers don't need to know that either. It, it comes down to sharpening and edge retention-y stuff. Yeah, I think a lot of it's marketing, too. Of course. Especially in the bike world. You know, when you get into, like, carbon fiber bikes and carbon fiber frames, a lot of companies like to throw around these different buzzwords for, um, for what kind of carbon they're using or what their process is. That one brand makes their carbon bike differently than another one. But does that make that one really that much better? And the ride is so subjective. The, the ride quality of the frame is subjective to the rider. I might ride something and think that it totally sucks out loud. And you might ride it and think this is the best thing you've ever ridden. So it, sometimes it's just another point for a marketing crew to, uh, to kind of use to leverage people's interest in their bikes. With a lot of things, there's not really a standard because so many of these companies make up their own buzzwords for stuff. So, and I'm sure it happens in like the knife industry too. Um, I did come across an object that was named a steel that I hadn't heard before so much so that I was like, I had to go Google this. Oh, uh, uh, unobtainium. No. Oh, good one. Sorry. Though. It's oh, a good thanks. movie reference. Um, <laughs> the question is, was he kidding or did they actually name the element that? <laughs> so we're not even done talking about your bikes, but people here won't care. 
So I'm cutting it off here because I want to and I'm in charge. If you want to tell me I'm wrong, please feel free. I'll be going back to the second half of Matt's interview on next week's episode and we'll get into more of the specifics and small bits and some philosophy. There's still plenty of good conversation to come. But if you've heard about his caps already, you can go to etsy.com slash shops slash velodome, V-E-L-O-D-O-M-E, for handmade biking apparel and some stickers and some other stuff. I like stuff. I carry stuff. And my limit is how much I can get into my pockets without bulge and while still able to sit down. Some of us carry bags, like today's guest, Matt Lolly. He's really serious about his bag. Because it doesn't ride shotgun with him, it's on his back while pedaling around town. Two episodes back, we talked to a computer tech who needs to carry a laptop and some network tools, etc., etc. It is assumed that once you have decided that you need a backpack, that you, in fact, need a backpack. But I know better. I'm a guy who constantly is trying to get more performance out of smaller, lighter kit. And that's all the time. So, what if I keep my it's-gotta-be-small ethic and also needed to carry a bag? My satchel slash map case slash fanny pack all gets piled together into the category of man purse. And man purses are not manly. I'll admit it. I'm jealous of women's ability to leave the house with a bag of stuff. I'm not jealous of women's mostly not having pockets, which makes the purse mandatory to begin with. As is the case with many American things, bigger is better. When scaled against Europe, especially. I'm looking at you, dinner portions, calorie intakes, SUV sizes. In my undercover research, I've discovered that it isn't strictly size which matters, but also format. A messenger bag is cooler than a sling bag. A sling bag is generally cooler than a camera bag. And if it's an open top bag with straps that are not long enough to put on your shoulder... That's called a handbag, and it is not allowed. Some time back, I took to carrying a bag like this. That was my wife's book bag for a while during college. About the size of a bowling bag, it had two buttons on the top to keep stuff from falling out. It had some internal dividers and an external pocket or two. It was made of black ripstop, and it was a great design, except I had to verbally defend it almost every day. The fact of the matter is that even though it mostly did its job carrying around a gun belt, it looked like a pocketbook, and that started to bother me. I'm not the arbiter of it all, I'm just talking here, but the rule seems to be that if you need a bag in America, you need a big one. I have some pretty dedicated photo friends, and some hockey people I call my friends, and pocket carry folks like me, and what I'm telling you all is to carry what you need, but only what you need. Smaller, snugger messengers, plumply filled camera bags instead of big billowing ones, smaller rucksacks, and yes, the occasional handbag. Show me pictures of your bag on Facebook, Instagram, or through email. I want to see them. I want this discussion to be an open thing. I want feedback from you guys. That's it for EDC Style this week. So there's this company that makes a sort of boxy-looking t-shirt called the T5. 
and it's got these unique pockets so that your shirt can carry stuff. And we are all about carrying stuff here on the PDPC, right guys? You don't tuck in the shirt, and it's certainly not just another t-shirt. It's a pretty good idea though, especially when it's taken to its logical conclusion, which is what I'm actually going to talk about. iGear, that's A-Y-E, gear, is the company. And they make travel jackets and a really lovely hoodie, but where's the challenge in storing stuff in a big baggy hoodie? I like the idea that they're on Kickstarter with right now. It's still going for a little over a week. That puts five pockets, the principal from the t-shirt, into action on a polo shirt. The clever hook to this whole design is that none of the pockets are strictly visible. All of the pockets are pouches along the seams and low-profile zippered pockets. So I think this will look a bit less out of place on the polo as opposed to the tee, and allow for lightweight, no-bulk hauling of all of your stuff. While I don't recommend wearing two with popped collars, I think that a collared shirt is almost mandatory when going outside, and that this garment over a comfortable tee should be a great addition to my wardrobe. It's a wealth of new pockets to dump. If you want to back them for $4,000, you get all of the garments they make as well as a trip for two to Scotland. While I love Scotland, for 62 bucks you can have a shirt of your very own. I think that's a cool idea, and this Kickstarter has a way to go to actually get made, but the company does seem to have employees and stuff, so maybe it'll come to market anyway. It's kickstarter.com slash projects slash AYE gear slash five pocket polo shirt, or just go to Kickstarter and type in five pocket polo shirt, and for all their other gear, you can go to www.ayegear.com. While you're out on the interwebs, you can subscribe to the Pocket Dump Podcast on iTunes or through Stitcher Radio, or if you use another service, you might just go to pdpc.rogintel.com and copy the RSS feed info as needed. While you're there, you can join our forum or just leave feedback for me. If you dig this podcast, you might also like to listen to the fanboys, put pop culture on trial, or you can subscribe to Rogue Intel's Prime and listen three times a week, you guys to Duff and Chris crack each other up with weird news, stories, and trivia. That's a blast. And if you're serious as a heart attack and politically minded, you need, you need, you need to listen to Candid with Lona Mori. She holds nothing back, and that is a great listen, too. More music is here. This week, the music is all from multi-instrumentalist, songwriter, and producer Spencer Alby. You can all navigate to SpencerAlby.com. That's A-L-B-E-E. Spencer's the common spelling. I don't think that should be tricky. Or just search for him on iTunes. Just like us, you can now download episodes of the Pocket Dump Podcast on iTunes. And if you do, leave us a review. You can also get us on Stitcher Radio and leave comments for us there as well. All of those links are, of course, in the show notes. Thank you guys so much for listening. You will hear from me soon. <laughs>